morning, church. Happy Sabbath to you, too. Oh, you talk about shorter period of times in between baptisms and changing. I was supposed to have the baptism before Luther had the prayer. That would give me a little more time. I'm glad that Paul sang slow. I was just hoping there was another chorus. But at least you got to sing with him as well, too. Well, the Lord is good. And some people, by the way, while we're waiting for this to come up, some people are asking about the video cameras and the things that we announced last week. Let me reassure you that we're not setting up something like the uh, Loma Linda University Church with great big cameras and booms and everything that are hanging out all over. The cameras that we would have would be on the wooden things. You will not see them. You will not hear them. And uh, they're... All it would be operated would be from up there, so there isn't people running around. You wouldn't be disturbed. It will just be helpful in the long run to be able to put the sermons, to see them over the website, to be able to have DVDs instead of CDs so that you can see the the PowerPoints that we have. And so I think it will be a good thing. We're still negotiating with the price. The company has some other things in mind, and I think we're going to back out on some of the things that they're talking about, but we'll see. Okay. We're also, by the way, we're trying to do a couple other things, is to get some listening devices for our Hispanic members who are having problems... uh, understanding English and don't want to miss out on the sermon and we're looking for interpreters. If you know of an interpreter that uh, would be willing to come and to participate, you need to talk to me as well too. There's a theologian by the name of William Barclay. He was kind of different than most theologians. Most time when you read uh, the writings of a theologian, it is so technical you can't hardly understand what they're saying. And William Barclay said, I don't want to do that. I want to put together a commentary, and he did on the New Testament, where the average person can read and understand. And so he would go verse by verse, and he wrote it all down. And it's a, it's a wonderful commentary. he got a lot of great stories. Well, one of the things that William Barclay, or Barclay, told about was a story about Satan who wanted to train three of his evil angels. And he says, what I want you to do is I want you to go out into the world and I want you to begin to to discover what might disrupt God's people here on this earth and then to come back and to report to him. Well, the first one came back, and he proposed to tell people that there was no God. And Satan replied that that would never fool anyone. In their hearts, they know that there is a God. The second one came back, and he said, well, let's just say that there's no hell. And Satan says, no, says, 
since there's sin in this world, it needs to receive its just reward. They've never believed that. The first one says, I know. We will tell men that there is no hurry. And Satan said, that's a good idea. Go and you will ruin men by the thousands. That may not be as far-fetched as we might think. Evidently, Jesus knew that this would be a problem. And so Jesus brought his disciples together and he shared with them. They asked, you know, what is it going to be like at the end of time so that we can kind of know. And we know that in Matthew 24, he shared a lot of, of signs that would take place, kind of giving them a clue as to the second coming. And then Jesus makes this statement in Matthew 24 and verse 44. Jesus says, Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour. Now remember that word hour, because we're going to see it a little bit later. He's going to, the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect him. Looks like the devil's plan was working, huh? So keep that word hour in your mind. But notice he says that his coming would be at a time when you, referring to his disciples, he's not talking about the rest of the world, although it will come unexpectedly for them as well too, but especially to his followers that he would come when they least expected him to come. Then he launches into three parables. The first one is called the parable of the faithful servant. And if you remember the story, the master is, is going on a trip and he leaves his, his servant to rule over his household. And not only he has access to the money, but he's also told that he's, that he's supposed to supply the food for the rest of the household. Jesus says that if he's a good servant, he will be rewarded. But if he's not, he will be cut off from the household. But look at the reason why this servant would be cut off. Matthew 24 and verse 48. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is what? Delaying his coming. My master, if my master is delaying his coming, he's going to goof off. His reason, he's going to beat his, his fellow servants and he's going to eat and drink with the drunkards is what Jesus said. Because the reason is my master is delayed in coming and so I can get away with it. Then Jesus goes to the next parable, the parable of the ten virgins. Remember, five of them had oil, five of them did not. They were waiting for the bridegroom to come. And then when the word came for that the bridegroom was on his way and they had to wake up from their sleep, the ones that were had the oil in their lamps, they were able to go into the room with the bridegroom. But the others, they had to go out trying to look for the oil. But notice what Jesus says then, Matthew 25, verse 5. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered. There's that delay again. The bridegroom represents whom? Jesus, okay? And a woman in Bible prophecy often represents the church, okay? 
So here we have churches, and the churches are there, and some have the oil. What does the oil represent? Holy Spirit. Some had the Holy Spirit, and some did not. So, for some reason or other, Jesus, the bridegroom, is delayed, and his churches are spiritually sleeping until it's time to wake up. And when it's time to get up, because they said that the bridegroom is coming, it's too late if they didn't have the Holy Spirit. But if they had the Holy Spirit, they were able to go in with the bridegroom to the wedding. Then Jesus goes to another parable, the talents. Remember, the master is going to go on a long trip, and he has some money, and he calls in his servants, and he gives each servant amount of money, and they are expected to use that money for good so that when he come back, he wanted to hold them accountable for, for what they were doing. But notice what Jesus says again, Matthew 25, verse 19. He says, after a long time, a delay, the Lord of those servants came and settled with them. After a long time. Jesus is trying to tell his disciples that his coming will appear to his church as a delay. For some reason or other, we're, we're going to kind of go to sleep and we're just not, we're going to kind of keep it out of our mind. We know that he's coming, but who knows when. And it has been a long time since Jesus was here on this earth. And he still hasn't come yet. So what are we supposed to do? Let's go back now to the words of Jesus. Back to Matthew 24, verses 42 and 43. Jesus says, Watch therefore... For you do not know what hour, there's that hour again, you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Keep in mind, he's speaking to his disciples. And he's telling them to watch as if his coming is going to spring upon them unexpectedly. Like a thief, when a thief breaks into a house. Now, if you watched the news this last week, you saw this lady who was just getting ready to go to bed. She had her computer on and she was doing some emailing. And all of a sudden, a burglar broke into her house came into her bedroom, held a gun to her head, and for about an hour he made her go from room to room to show him all of her valuables, and then he took them. And then he took her back into the bedroom under gunpoint, put her back on the bed, and tied her hands to the bed. And then he went out, after a while he went out to the garage and stole her car. Just wasn't her day. Now, she's trying to figure out, what am I going to do? She, was, she said her adrenaline was pumping by that time, because she certainly wasn't expecting this. And she didn't know what to do. She tried to yell, and she tried to scream for passerbys to, to go get help, and no one heard her. So she 
noticed that the computer was still on and she took her feet and somehow was able to pull the bedspread that the computer was laying on and pull it up a little closer to her. And then she actually used her toes and pulled out one of the cords and in her toes she began to type an email message to her boyfriend that she was in trouble and she needed help. Now at one point she had to press alt what's that alt control alt delete with her toes she says that wasn't easy it took her about 20 minutes to figure that out but she was able to do it and then she was able to get the message sent to her boyfriend and to tell him that there was a burglar and that called the police and that she needed help and he was able to come and to help her and the police were able to come. If she had known an intruder was going to break into her house that night, things would have been totally different. She would have been prepared to do something about it. She would have called the police ahead of time. They would have been there waiting. And that's exactly what Jesus is trying to tell his disciples. He says, prepare for the event because it's going to come and you don't know exactly when it will be. Well, some of you might say, well, that's no big deal. I know Jesus is coming soon, unexpectedly. But Jesus is referring to those who will be lost. Not me, but with the parable of the ten virgins and his warning to his disciples, he's talking to you and me. Look what the scriptures tell us. Revelation 16, verse 15. Behold... I'm coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Who's speaking, do you know? If you have a red letter edition of the Bible, it's in red, which is the words of Jesus. What are the garments that he's talking about? The robe of righteousness. Jesus is warning the church that he's going to come as a thief and you have to be prepared with the robe of Jesus' righteousness. And in the ten virgins, you have to be prepared by having the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 2. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Paul is writing to church members, not non-church members. We know it's going to happen, and yet Jesus says that the church is going to be caught off guard. Second Peter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, and some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. There's that word repentance that we talked about last week. Notice the Lord doesn't want any human being to perish. So let's keep reading. 2 Peter 3, verses 10 through 12. But the day of the Lord, when it talks about the day of the Lord, what are we talking about? Second coming. Okay, the second coming will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all those things will be dissolved, 
What manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God? I want you to notice a couple of things about this passage. First, the second coming of Jesus will come unexpectedly like a thief. That's what he's been saying all along. He's talking to the church. We are, we are to be looking for this unexpected event and display holy conduct and godliness. In other words, we are to reflect the character of Jesus in our lives. Well, I've had people say, okay, I'll change, but I'm not ready yet. I still have time. Jesus hasn't come. I'll get ready when he gets closer to that time. That's what the ten foolish, foolish virgins were thinking. What time are you talking about? We don't know the day or the hour of Jesus' return. And it will surprise us when it does happen. How can you tell if it will be in ten years, in ten months, or in ten minutes? Let's go back to the book of Revelation, which is written for the people, especially church members, right before the second coming of Jesus. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 3. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. Jesus is telling the church over and over and over again that something's going to happen unexpectedly and it's going to shock us and we have to be ready, expecting that that's going to take place, but we'll be ready before it happens. We don't know the hour he will come upon us. So why does he keep using this term hour, 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 like he's using thief, thief, thief? Why did Jesus tell us in Matthew 24, verse 36, that we will not know the day or the hour? It would just make sense that he would say we would not know the day. If we don't know the day, we certainly know what, wouldn't know what hour. Why does he keep putting in this hour? What is important about it? Is there anything in the Bible that is significant concerning the second coming that refers to an hour? What does it say in the book of Revelation? In chapter 18, it talks about Babylon, a false political religious organization that at the end of time will have an influence on the entire world. Now, here's what it says, Revelation 18, verse 10. Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. Hmm. In one hour her judgment has come. Let's take a look at Revelation 18, verse 17. For in one hour such great riches came to nothing. Economic disaster in one hour. Let's continue on. Revelation 18, verse 19. Alas, alas, that great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth. For in one hour she is made desolate. It sounds like the merchants who once had a lot of money, made a lot of money off of Babylon, lost it all when she became desolate. Some will say, you'll hear them, they'll say, well, an hour. 
That's about 15 days when you use one day for a year and you divide that up. It comes out to 15 days. Others say, no, it's a literal 60-minute period of time. I'm not going to speculate one way or the other an amount of time. But to me, the Lord is saying that something very significant is going to happen in a very short period of time, unexpectedly, fast, so fast that the entire world will be, will be taking notice and they're going to be questioning and saying, what's happening? Just for your information, a banker friend of mine, said that the government has so much control on the banks right now since this economic disaster that you can go to bed tonight and wake up in the morning and by just one official word from the government, your bank account can be wiped out and there's nothing you can do about it. In just a very short period of time. Could it really happen? Could something happen that would be so eye-opening that all the world would see and be affected? Let me give you a good example that I believe that God allowed this event to take place right before our eyes so that it would help to wake up His church that something even larger could happen. Do you remember 9-11? In just a short period of time, we watched in horror as the event happened right before our eyes, live on our television. In a short period of time, if you remember, all aircraft was ordered out of the sky. My wife was supposed to return and go on a flight to Kansas that very day, and that flight was canceled. All flights were canceled. If you remember... At the, if you went out on the freeway, guess what? No traffic jams, no traffic. What if something like this, but even larger, happens again? What if every man, woman, and child were jolted into a tragedy? Do you know what they would want to know? They don't want to know, how do I take off ten pounds? They're going to want to know, why is this happening? Is there something in the Bible that says that something like this will take place? I want biblical answers. That's what happened at 9-11. All of a sudden, if you went down to the Adventist Book Center, all the books that deals with future prophecy was sold out in a short period of time. People wanted to know. Adventists wanted to know. Catholics wanted to know. Baptists wanted to know. They all wanted to know, is there something in prophecy that has taken place? They want to know, is Jesus coming again? Is this the event that the Bible has always talked about? You and I have to be ready to be able to share Bible prophecy when they start asking these questions. We must be there to encourage people to to give their lives to Christ and to repent of their sins. We must care about our fellow man. There will not be time for us to learn about it ourselves. If we are not ready, if we don't have our minds straight about the second coming of Christ, if we don't 
understand Bible prophecy, if we can't understand whether we have the robe of Christ's righteousness, how in the world are we going to be able to answer their questions when they start asking them? When it happens, we know Jesus is about to come. If we don't have the answers, we're like the foolish virgins. Time's running out. We know that Jesus is about to come. We are the revelation of Jesus Christ on this earth. Jesus has a set time that he's going to come. We don't know when that will be. But we do have to be ready ourselves before that time takes place. That's one of the reasons why we're going to have this seminar on learning how to be fully immersed with the Holy Spirit and how to be more Christ-like in our character. We need to be under the total control of the Holy Spirit. Are you up to the challenge? If you're ready to make a commitment to Christ to have him live out his life within you, please stand as we sing together hymn number 316. Or 
thoughts of vain regret, but restful, calm, and pliant from bend and bias free, awaiting thy decision when thou hast need of me. Live out thy life within me, O Jesus, King of kings. Be thou the glorious answer to all my questionings. Thank you, Lord Jesus. for giving us time as a church to get ready. But we need the power of your Holy Spirit, the grace of our Father, the willpower of Jesus Christ to be able to carry out through these last days. For we ask it in his name. Amen.